Thanks for tuning in to the Voyage Church Podcast. Our desire is that today's message will be significant for all of us on the voyage of becoming. Last week was, uh, who was here last week? Anybody? Okay. So it was an incredible time, but I just want you to know it wasn't obviously uh, how service will go. We won't always have, you know, people up here praying over us. So there was a lot of elements in service that were a little bit different than usual. And so um, as I began, you know, just praying and Shauna and I talking, just thinking about you guys, thinking about what God was going to do in our church for people that were going to call this place home um, over the next month. And again, our team's really just looking at things headed towards Easter because, uh, you know, there's kind of these things in church we call CEOs. It means Christmas and Easter only, okay? Those are the kind of people, they show up at those times during the year. And so it, it is what it is. Like, it's, it's not here to knock on anybody, but there are people who church throughout the week, like weekly is not a thing for them, but it! like you're going to get dressed, you can go to church on Easter. All right, now for Voyage Church, you look at our Selah Sundays, we're not doing church on Christmas. Sunday falls on December 25th. Look, I'm going to spend time with my family because that's my first ministry, and I hope that you open presents and talk about Jesus and all that, and we'll see you the week after Christmas, okay? But um, when it comes to looking at Easter, and that's where we're headed, I really just began to pray, God, where do you want to take us? Like when we begin to open up your word, when we're, when we're worshiping you, like, God, what do you want to do in our church? And so for me, it's really just about what we just sang, that Jesus changes everything. And so I'm going to take the next few weeks of this month, and I'm going to focus on looking in the Gospels and just painting a very clear picture of who Jesus is. Not who you were told when you were a little boy or girl at a church that maybe had like a bunch of rules and regulations, or maybe, you know, what someone else told you about Jesus, which maybe got you in a place of a season in your life where you didn't want anything to do with God. No, I want to open up the scripture and look at who Jesus is. And I'm telling you, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we see how he lived and walked on the planet then. That's how he moves and he acts in our lives now. It's the same Jesus. And so that's what we're really going to focus on. And um, I just want to say, as, we, uh, as you exit today, if, you ha- if you've come last week, this week, you haven't filled out a Connect card, either in person or online, please do that because it's what allows our people to be able to call you, check in, just make sure that you know, hey, we, again, we are so honored that you would show up on a Sunday morning to a brand new church in this town, meeting in an elementary school, that you would take the time to do that. So if you'd fill out one of these, it's just going to allow us to connect with you. We promise we won't bombard you or overload you or anything like that. But if you do want updates about our church and what's happening, you can text Voyage Church, all one word, all one word to 94000. And if you just text that, it'll text you back, and that kind of signs you up for just church-wide updates. Again, there's not like text messages every hour. It's not like, I don't know about y'all, it's not like Express trying to sell you like a BOGO pair of jeans or anything like that, okay? I get those all the time. I don't even remember. I think I bought a suit for a wedding that I officiated like several years ago, and Express won't stop. Shauna says it's probably her. Probably her. She probably used my phone number. Get double rewards. Anyways, um, but man, I'm excited for today. And so I'm going to preach a message titled this. If you're taking notes, um, which you should because um, notes change everything. I'm just telling you. But the title of this message is, You Weren't Meant for That. You Weren't Meant for That. And I promise it'll make sense as we begin to unpack. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And um, for me, you'll learn as, as a preacher, I really, really, really love reading stories in full, and I love unpacking them because, first off, I read the Bible like I watch Netflix because if you ever meet people who are like, man, the Bible's just so boring, so, you know, usually at that point, it's like, no, like, we need to talk about the fact that maybe you're a little boring because the Bible's definitely not, but the Bible's not boring, 
It's not boring. And so what happens is, for me, I struggled as a reader as a kid. Like, I had terrible reading comprehension. I don't know about you, but I would do, like, those standardized tests where you have to read a story and then answer, like, six questions, right? And so here's the story about Bobby. And then I get over to question number three, and it's like, what color was the ball that Bobby had? And I'm like, when the heck did Bobby get a ball? Like, where is that? I just had terrible reading comprehension. I couldn't stick with it. And so something happened when I felt the call of God in my life in seventh grade to be a pastor that like the word, I don't know, it just began to make sense to me. And when I talked with people and I begin to explain a story, they're like, wait a second, that's in the Bible? I'm like, bro, our pastor just preached on it last week. He's like, no, I ain't never heard anybody explain it that way. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to explain this story because I want you to see what happened. So I'm going to paint the scenes. I'm going to paint the pictures. I want it to be like you're watching a Netflix scene and you've walked into the moment because this happened. These are not made-up fairy tales. And I'll be honest, I grew up a Disney kid, and there was a moment where it was kind of tough to be like, wait a second. Like, all the Cinderella, all that, none of that's real, but all the supernatural stuff in the Bible, that is real. I'll never forget a teenager telling me, grew up in church, we, the whole, like, you know, talking about believing and make-believe type things got brought up, and she just made the statement. She was like, wait, so, Mom, Dad, everything you've told me, like, two fairy, all of that, so you're telling me that's not real, so that means Jesus isn't real. And I just remember, like, hearing her say that as a ninth grader. She was telling me the story. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I never want anyone to associate those two things together. He, he's so real. He's so powerful. He's so supernatural. And that's what happens in Mark chapter 2 in this story. So I'm going to read it all the way through. And you're going to stay awake, um, even with the sound of that lovely air condition right there, making that noise that could soothe you to sleep, right? All right. Let's read this. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, if you're... The person next to you falls asleep just to slap him in the face. All right, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, which don't have time to fully unpack it, but the word Capernaum means a village of comfort. And it's very interesting. Some of the miracles that Jesus performs in Capernaum is because there's just so many things in Scripture. They're types and shadows. So he walks into a city called the village of comfort, and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, who we know the Holy Spirit is a comforter. And so it's just all those little things are so cool that you see God was intentional with all of it. But several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that, there's no, that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Everybody say mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. This is Jesus. It says, seeing their faith. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, uh, I'm going to come back to that, but don't miss it. Seeing their faith, he says to the paralyzed man, my child, your, son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 6, but some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there um, thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Look, y'all, go ahead and be in a group and start thinking some thoughts about some people unless someone call you out about your thoughts. It's going to get awkward real fast. It says, Jesus knowing what they were thinking, said to them. So he asked them, why do you question these things in your heart? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, the Son of God, has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Verse 12, the man jumped up, grabbed his mat. Everybody say mat. Grabbed his mat. And walked through the stunned onlookers 
They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. One thing I find really interesting is they carried a paralyzed man on a mat, and there was too many people they couldn't get into the house. But the very people that wouldn't let him in after he has a miracle from Jesus are the stunned onlookers making room for him to walk out. I'm just telling you that the people who wanted nothing to do with you, when you have an encounter with Jesus, they'll begin to take notice that something's happened in your life. And when they take notice of something's happened in your life, they're going to be stunned, and they're going to begin to ask questions. And you know what your responsibility is? Point to Jesus every single time. Point to Jesus every single time. And I love that there's that little piece right there in the story. So verses four and five, I mean, let's just paint the picture though. Here's these four guys. They've got a friend who's paralyzed. We don't know if he's paralyzed from birth. We don't know if he was paralyzed because, you know, he was just being dumb with some buddies and he jumped off a roof. We don't know, which if he jumped off a roof and then they're having to climb on a roof to get him, I mean, it's all ironic. But either way, we have no idea how this guy got paralyzed. What we do know is that he had four friends who loved him enough that heard the news that Jesus was in town. As it said, the news spread quickly. And they like, they're saying, we got to get you in front of Jesus. We know that he's healing people who can't walk. He's opening up blind eyes. He's healing deaf ears. Jesus is doing this. He's in our town. We got to get you there. I don't know about you, but I want people in my life that when I'm in my darkest season, that they'll do whatever it takes to get me in front of Jesus. I used to tell young people all the time, show me your five closest friends. I'll show you your future. I'll tell you who you'll be in five years. Who are the closest people in your life, and are they the kind of people that will go through hell and high water to get you in front of Jesus when you're in your darkest days? If so, you're in good company. If not, welcome to Voyage Church. we got a bunch of people here who would love to be friends with you that would do just that. There's nothing like having friends who would do whatever it takes. So they carry their friend, and thank goodness they're those kinds of friends. They carry their friend on the mat, get to the front door, and be like, it's packed. Sorry, man, sold out. Jesus ain't got no more tickets. We can't get in. These boys are like, no, we got to figure out a way. It says they climb up on the roof. Now, in this day, the way that the roof would have been on these houses, you know, families, they actually built onto the houses. And so the roofs would have been flat. They would have had some kind of clay that would have been molded. So you would have been able to stand up there. But you could, with a stick or with rock, you could dig it out. If not, not per se the thing you want to do to your house, but it could be done. And obviously these guys, so there would have been stairs on the outside of the house. Little stairs probably would have only went out about a foot and a half, and they would have walked up, got their friend on the roof, and began to dig a hole. Now, here's what's really fun. When you study this passage specifically, theologians believe this house belonged to one of two women, and I don't think either one of them is a good option for digging a hole in a roof, okay? It was either Mary, Jesus' mama's house. Now, y'all know good and well, you don't knock no holes in mama's house. That's not a good idea. Or it's Peter's mama's house. Now, Peter, dude, he was always smarting off at the mouth. If his mama was anything like him, you, are not, you should not be knocking a hole in Peter's mama's house. So it is one of these two ladies' houses, and, and it says it's, it's people heard that he was back home, so it was a place that we know Jesus would have stayed at when he was in town again. And so that's kind of the thoughts is it's, it's either Mary's or Peter's mom's house because we know Peter was from that place. And so here they go on the roof, and they begin to dig a hole. Now, mind you, you have to see the scene. Like, you can't, if you just read this, be like, okay, they dug a hole, guy went through the roof, Jesus was like, your sins are forgiven. Oh, why are you guys thinking that? Oh, pick up your mat and walk. Okay, great day of ministry. Awesome, see you guys next week. No, like, this is, he's teaching, he's sharing the gospel to a group of people. There's some religious Pharisees in the back who are being critical, having a critical spirit, questioning things, and Jesus is standing there bold, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and, and he's just declaring. And in that moment, can you just imagine, here I am preaching to you right now. And then just some bits start falling from the, from the roof. A few rocks, a little bit of debris. And Jesus at that moment steps back and he looks up. And here comes this boy. Just lowering him down like I don't know what kind of system they had. 
but they lower him down on a mat. I don't know if they put ropes on four corners. They lower him down. They get him down in front of Jesus. This is the scene in this packed out house. And here in this very moment, and you can't skip over verse 4 and 5. Jesus, he's Jesus, so he obviously knows everything. But he's standing there, and he sees these guys, and he goes, huh. And because of their faith, I know the condition of his heart. I know the depression that he's in because of his condition and the way that he thinks about himself, that he doesn't think he's worth anything because this society and this culture tells people who are lame and crippled, you can't work, you're not worth it, you're just a beggar, you're just someone who sits on the side of the road and you get the scraps. And so Jesus knows the condition of his heart, but he sees their faith. And I just want you to know, not only to have friends who are like, yeah, 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 come on, you should really be in church. I'm talking about friends who will pray, people who will believe God on your behalf, people that God would say, you're in a dark place and your faith is low right now, but seeing their faith, I'm working in your life. It says, seeing their faith, he says to the boy, are you ready? Uh, you just got to see the scene. It's, it's crazy. I, it's honestly probably one of the rudest things Jesus has ever done. Here's a lame boy laying on a mat. Mind you, he just gets lowered through a roof, y'all, into a party. They wouldn't let him in through the front door. He's laying down. Here he is, awkward. Jesus looks up, then looks at the boy and says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Awesome, but my leg's still broken. Pull me back up. And they're like, I dropped the rope, my bad. Sorry. So here's this awkward scene. Here he is just laying on the ground, they're like, thanks, man, appreciate the whole sin thing. Like, here I am. And then he's still laying there. And then Jesus goes and has a whole dialogue with some religious people. Hey, why are you guys thinking that? Look, boy, I don't care what they're thinking. Bro, someone get me out of here. Like, what in the world? So this whole scene is just kind of, you want to talk about awkward moment in church. That's this. And Jesus doesn't skip a beat. He calls them out. And he says, why are you thinking these thoughts? And then he says something very interesting. He says, is it easier to tell the boy your sins are forgiven or to pick up your mat and walk? And I'm like, neither one of them that hard, Jesus. Like, I don't understand why you're making such a big deal out of it. You could have just told him pick up his mat and walk, pulled him to the side and said, hey, you know, your sins are forgiven. I'm here. I'm your savior. I'm your Messiah. Ask me into your heart. <laughs> I'm just saying it's really weird we do that in church. Ask Jesus into your heart. But do you think Jesus ever walked around and was like, hey, ask me into your heart right now? Do it. <laughs> Do it. Ask me into your heart. Anyways, I understand. Like, there's, never, there's not any scripture that says ask Jesus into your heart. It has way more to do with us surrendering our lives to him. But I digress. Anyways, so here's Jesus. He just says, I have authority to forgive sins. And he's, he's actually proving that to the Pharisees. He says, hey, I will prove to you that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he tells the boy, pick up your mat and walk. Now, as I'm processing this passage, I'm just going, Jesus I don't know what ministry school you went to, but like we, could, we probably could have flowed service a little bit different. We could have done that a little different, Jesus. But as you really begin to study this passage and you understand that Jesus cares much more about our hearts than anything else, doesn't it make sense? Because if he tells a boy who's lame and crippled, but I wonder if in that moment he's laying there, Jesus says your sins are forgiven, and at first he's like, and then now here's Jesus addressing these religious people. And I wonder if he just begins to think to himself, wait a second, like all those thoughts I've thought about my parents, that is their fault that I'm in this condition, that I wish they were dead. I'm forgiven for that. 
Like what I've thought about other people when they've walked past me and they've thought they're better than me. He's not holding that against me. All of these things that as I sit on my mat every day and ponder and, and, and just think the worst, I'm forgiven. And I wonder if he begins to process because here's what Jesus is doing that has to be done this order. Because if Jesus looks at a kid with a broken heart and broken legs and heals his legs, healed legs end up following broken heart. But if Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, I'm making you brand new, there's a future, like I'm not holding it against you, guess what? Then a healed heart leads healed legs. What I'm telling you is that we have a Jesus who will absolutely do a physical healing. I've seen miracles. I've seen things that are just, uh, for me, I had kidney stones, two kidney stones, too big to pass. First year of marriage for Shauna and I, it was crazy. Ended up going into surgery, 26 staples, all this crazy stuff. But for months and months, they had to do these stents before I could have my official surgery. And I was in so much pain that Shauna grabbed some some cooking oil because it's all we had. But the Bible says anoint the sick with oil, right? And they'll be healed. She anointed me with oil. And I'm telling you, I've seen the CAT scan with two kidney stones, one that was six millimeters, one that was nine millimeters. Anything over five is too big to pass. They didn't use the laser to break it up. The doctor cuts me wide open in surgery for five hours. I remember when I'm back in the room, I'm waking up. I asked Shauna, how does my cut look? They said it was going to be like this, but I have a scar that's like from here to here. They cut me in half, y'all. And I said to Shauna, I was like, I want to see, see the kidney stones. Like, I just I want to see them. I'll go through all that. And I asked the doctor, and I'll never forget him going, John, I don't know how to tell you this. I know they're in the CAT scan. I know we did multiple. But when I opened you up, I took that kidney out. I rinsed it fully. I put the kidney back. You have both kidneys. Thank you, Lord. He said, there's no kidney stones in that kidney. All I can tell you is that I was in pain. My wife prayed. After she prayed, the pain went away. I had about another month and a half before the official surgery. I never had pain using the bathroom again after that prayer. And all I know is doctor showed it on CAT scan, said he went to go find them, and they weren't there. Make your own conclusion, but I just believe we serve a God who heals. But I don't believe that we serve a God who's so concerned with manifesting physical healings out in the open and not addressing people's condition in their hearts. And that's what he did to the boy. He looked at the boy and said, my son, your sins are forgiven. Like that, and he's telling the Pharisees, that's what I've got authority to do. Yeah, I could do a miracle, and you're going to end up talking about it and judging me anyways. But I'm here to see lives changed and restored. And he would be much better off with a healed heart and broken legs than healed legs and a broken heart. This is the kind of Jesus we serve. There's some things maybe you want God to do in your life. And I'm telling you, he wants to do them because he's a really good father but he's much more concerned with the condition of your heart before he is with everything else on the outside of your life, whatever that looks like. And so here's this moment. Jesus tells them, I have authority. He tells the boy, pick up your mat and walk. Now, that's the most interesting part for me. You know, kind of process the whole story, understand Jesus' his responsibility to be the atoning sacrifice to cover our sins. He, he is very clear to the boy and to the man and everyone else in the room, I have authority to do this. The supernatural flows. The boy gets up, but he says, pick up your mat and walk. Equivalent to, hey, I healed your legs. Make sure you wheel your wheelchair out on your way out. And it's like, I don't need it. Why, why do I need my mat? I don't need my mat. You just healed me. I'm gone. Deuces, like I'm out of here. All these people who wouldn't let me in, yeah, go ahead and step aside. I'm on my way out, on my two feet. Check me out. I don't need this. But Jesus very clearly, and there's actually several times in the gospel, he says, 
pick up your mat and walk. This story specifically is in three of the four Gospels. Pick up your mat and walk. As I began to do more research, when it came to the ministry of Jesus, there was never a thing that Jesus did that he never wanted declared. Now, there were a few moments he healed people, and he would tell them, hey, keep quiet about this, but only for the reason that he was saying, it's not time for me to be crucified yet. Like, my time hasn't come. But there was never a thing Jesus did and was like, hey, just stay silent forever. Just stay quiet. Actually, when we move to the book of Revelation, did you know that the way that you and I have a conquering life is two things. It says we overcome by the blood of the lamb, that's the death of Jesus, and the word of our testimony. So I started thinking about Matt. Put, put, the, put the first letter up there. For, for M, I just started thinking about my life and maybe your life, that I've got mistakes that I've made and I've been in some miserable moments. Like I've just had some moments I was like, God, I'd just rather quit. I'd rather quit following you. I'd rather, like, I've gone through church hurt. I don't know if you've been in church hurt, but I've gone through stuff where, where, where man has failed me. God has not, but man has failed me, and it put me in a place where I was angry and bitter. There's mistakes that I've made in my past that I'm not proud of, and even things that began to bleed over. Even as Shauna and I got engaged, there were, there were things that I was doing, addictions that I had in my life, mistakes I had made that, that bled over, and until we actually began to talk about it and address it, we were not going to be able to move in freedom as a couple. And so all of those kinds of things, they exist in your life and in my life. Mistakes and misery. Jesus even said in John 16, he says, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so Jesus tells him, pick up your mat and walk. We also have things like uh, addictions and anxiety. Like and your addiction could be anything, right? Some of us, our addiction, as simple as it is, the way that we decompress at the end of the day is finding ourselves an hour and a half scrolling through people's lives that we don't ever, ever see. I'm not saying social media is bad. I'm just saying I think that there are things we're addicted to that keep our focus off of the things in our life that Jesus wants to address. There's, I know that there's addictions in my life that Jesus wants to address. There's anxiety in my life, and there is anxiety that I try not to think about by keeping myself preoccupied with things so I don't have to think about it. Yeah, go ahead and let that swirl around for a second. Be like, oh my gosh. We all do it. How busy we stay. Staying so busy so that we don't have to focus or be aware of that which we're actually going through. Because we don't want to think about the mat. Jesus, I've already given you my life. I'm brand new. He says, yes, you are. Your legs work. Pick up your mat and go. Pick up your mat and go. Uh, we, we, have, we have troubles. We have trials. And here's, we have temptations. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days, and the Bible actually says he was baptized. It says he comes out of the water, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted. Well, if temptation's good enough for Jesus, then it's probably going to be good enough for me. See, you being tempted with something, maybe there's a struggle, something you, you, you deal with, you being tempted doesn't make, temptation and sinning are not the same thing. First off, we serve a God who forgives sins, so don't you dare beat yourself up over a sin that you've committed when you have a Father who is gracious and merciful. But second of all, if you've got a temptation that you're fighting, I'll tell you this right now. If you're in this room and you feel like there's, there's a, something that you feel tempted with and you're always fighting it, it's good news. Because, see, before Christ, you are flesh, but the Spirit of God has not come into your life, meaning you have nothing to Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check us out on thevoyage.church to stay updated on everything God is doing in our city.